What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Josh Marshall Podcast. You know, today we were, when we sat down and were thinking about how we're going to structure this show, we had a few different topics we were we were thinking about. One is we were going to do a quick recap of the January 6th investigation and how they are now seem to be moving into, you know, dribbling out little nuggets of, of information from all these subpoenas they've been they've been throwing around. Um, and we were also going to talk about something that a lot of us have been discussing. I kind of mentioned it in a post yesterday, and that is just the, the, basically the climate of demoralization among Democrats right now. Um, that probably doesn't come to you as a big news flash. You're probably experiencing some level of it already. But the way I have seen it is you have this very unstable, kind of toxic dynamic where Democrats believe there are all sorts of things that are absolutely critical to do right now. Some of them are existential. Climate, voting rights and a bunch of other things that are super important. And yet all of that expectation, all of that demand, and when I call them demands, I don't mean they're frivolous demands. I agree with most of this stuff, but they are colliding into a lack of resources and power to make them happen. And that collision is driving people a little crazy and it's making them mad and it's making them demoralized. And it's making them look for scapegoats or people to blame. And that is a, this really basic dynamic that we are, that we are dealing with. But, and here I'm going to do something a little different because we're going to do, I think, a little more of a segue, a kind of a, a fluid segue between my introduction and, and, and when I bring in Kate and we kind of talk about stuff. I'm going to really quickly read some Grady's uh, copy before I get, before I really cut to the chase, because I want to get that out of the way before we kind of move into the whole thing. So, uh, so you're, you're hooked on $6 iced oat lattes and $5 nitro cold brews. It happens to the best of us, but a few months in and a few hundred bucks later, you're ready to become your own barista. Making cold brew at home isn't rocking science, but it is messy. Not to mention the need for grinders, strainers, unitasker brewing containers. If you want to make cold brew at home the easy way, order a 
Grady's Cold Brew Kit. It's a simple and space-efficient way to make a week's worth of coffee without the mess. If you're ready to give it a try, get 25% off at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay, now, that little segue is done. And here's the thing. Just as we were sitting down to record this episode, we started seeing a bunch of news flashes which said something that seems to be absurd on its face. And that was that the Build Back Better bill, the reconciliation bill, all the different things we've talked about, you know, called it um, over the last year, that is supposedly being quote unquote shelved, according to NBC News, in exchange for Move, let me read you the exact thing. Here's the exact tweet from NBC News. Senate expected to shelve Build Back Better bill moving forward aggressively now on voting rights. Now, when I saw people react to this, a lot of people were saying, all right, great, fantastic. We're finally getting to the real thing. We're going to take care of democracy and voting rights. Now, on its face, uh, yeah, I I. I think I'd agree with that in many ways. And who knows what shelving means, right? Are, 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 are they just giving up on it? They're going to come back to it next month. But here's the thing. Everything we know tells us that they don't have the votes for any voting rights thing. You know, in the voting rights, we're generally talking about the For the People Act. You know, big, big voting rights bill that deals with gerrymandering and, and securing voting rights and all, you know, kind of the whole, the whole package. Um, but as recently as yesterday, Joe Manchin said, I am absolutely not going to do any filibuster carve out for democracy or voting rights. And without that, it's a 60 vote thing and it's never going to happen. So what this sounded like to me and still kind of sounds like is that Joe Manchin finally said no on Build Back Better and Democrats are... <laughs> trying to make everybody feel better by kind of tossing out a bunch of like we're moving forward on democracy pixie dust even though moving forward you know it's like it's like Trump's you know moving forward on voting rights very strongly very strongly you know like strongly aggressively whatever you don't have the votes so on its face it kind of sounds like all right I guess I guess we lost on build back better and that's not going to happen and we're going to do some happy talk on voting rights and that's not going to happen either but as we've been going, we, there's a, a quote out there from Bernie Sanders saying, yeah, it's, it's you know, democracy is the mo more important thing right now. Let's get that done. That's more important than build back better right now. Like, really? Like, like okay, he's okay with dropping build back better? So that's where we are right now. And we just decided to kind of launch into this, even though we are discussing things that you will probably know much more about by the time you listen to them. But it'll be kind of like a real time. We're kind of trying to make sense of this. And in the, in the process of making sense of this, we're also going to talk about the much bigger picture stuff. Because obviously, shelved or not shelved, there is uh, a lot to talk about with Build Back Better and voting rights and Joe Manchin and everything under the sun. So uh, co-host Kate Riga, what the fuck? What, what, are we, what are we doing here? What's going on? I I don't know. I, my instantaneous reaction is so. At first, I'm just like, it's really irresponsible journalism to just kind of report these tweets from senators and not add 
the filibuster still a thing? And mm-hmm. also, you know, these conversations they've been having with Manchin, re-voting rights, those rule changes have been incremental, nibbling around the edges. I mean, they've been about, you know, things like how long you have to speak for, stuff like that. And just yesterday, just yesterday, Manchin told reporters, I'm not going to approve of any filibuster carve out that doesn't have Republican support. Republicans do not support voting rights legislation, period. You know, with the exception of like Lisa Murkowski for one of the bills. So I'm just so taken aback at this credulous reporting of like, now we're going to do voting rights. What? What are you talking about? Did the filibuster evaporate while we were focusing on BBB? Like, yeah, so this is the (laughs) this is the thing that the reporters, you know, the, the reporters know these dynamics and uh, the the thing that yeah it's a total mystery and the reporters know these dynamics and as you say you know we've been up and down this hill 20 times at Joe Manchin this year about about filibuster no filibuster mini carve out big carve out blah 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 and it's just every single time it it's just a you know, it's Lucy and the football, right? And 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 when you hear these things, you're sort of like thinking about the responses of these Democratic senators. Like, are you are you just are you just making? Is it all about hope? You're kind of so credulous, you're so desperate that you're kind of thinking this is real when it's not real. Now, I mean, I guess that. Um, I cannot rule out the possibility that there is actually an agreement and all of my commentary will be wrong, which I could which I will be ecstatic about. It'll all be wrong. And in fact, in some kind of global deal, they have gotten Manchin on board with some sort of filibuster carve out and they're gonna pass, I would assume it's his version of the build of the uh, For the People Act, which r- remind me on this case. My general sense was that voting rights types, even though it pulled out some of the stuff in the original For the People Act, most of those people said, hey, it's still pretty damn good, right? I mean, that's that's about what we thought, about what we heard. Yeah. And the original For the People Act actually had some provisions that like election administrators didn't love, not for conspiratorial reasons, but more logistical reasons. Like, you know, it'll be very hard to implement XYZ by, you know, the next election type thing. So the new one just kind of hewed hewed it down to the main tenants, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I think people were still still OK with it. The, I don't know. I mean, to me, if they have reached a deal on voting rights, that means Manchin is going to allow, and I assume cinema not being talked about, but I assume also her, have allowed some kind of carve out in the filibuster to allow for meaningful voting rights legislation to get across, something that will not get Republican support, that will incur Republican fury and Republican accusations of Democrats staging a federal takeover of elections. Wouldn't you think there'd be like a press conference or something? Yeah, I guess we have to we have to hold out the possibility that maybe, you know, right now it's 1236. Maybe we're about to see an announcement that, you know, 3 p.m. today, big, uh, big 
a press conference at the White House with Manchin and Biden and Chuck Schumer and Bernie, and they're going to all kind of say this is the plan. Uh, but of course, I just made that up completely. <laughs> we haven't seen anything like that. And uh, I think you mentioned, Kate, but right before we started, that there had been some other report about uh, uh, about John Tester saying, "Yeah, yeah, we're, we're you know we're working on some." seem to say, you know, some filibuster carve out kind of stuff or rules changes or something. So let me ask you this. You you mentioned earlier, Kate, that that to the extent that there have been these discussions in in recent days, they have you know, focused on these things about all right, this long to talk, this many that, you know, and and just to remind everybody, it's never been at all in the cards, even in the sort of the fantasy Senate, you know, uh, fantasy football, fantasy Senate rules, um, it's never been in the cards that you're, they're getting rid of the filibuster. The, what has been in the cards and what the filibuster reform people have been pushing are various rules changes that, you know, you can talk, but only for so, you know, you can, you can block it for a month, but not longer, or instead of needing 60 votes to break the filibuster, you need 40 votes always on the floor to hold up the filibuster. All of these things that give you a lot of ways to block a vote, but not things that you can just do indefinitely and things that are pretty hard to do. So what have we been hearing on that front? What do, do we have a sense of what is even being discussed? I mean, the thing is, some of this stuff, you know, they've been quote unquote discussing for like months and Manchin yeah. has been in those meetings too. Um, and he's, you know, expressed before that he doesn't, you know, he likes the idea of a talking filibuster. Um, you know, he likes the idea of making it more painful to, minor to the minority. He said he said those kind of things publicly before. And those are things that other senators often kind of cling to as proof of, look, he is movable, you know, he's malleable on this. But but then he comes out like he did yesterday and said, well, I'm not going to do any of this if it doesn't have Republican support. And then you're like, well, that's great that he theoretically is OK with it, but doesn't really mean much in practice if he's not willing to carry it through. To be honest, you know, again, maybe we'll, we'll be totally proven wrong. But I think, and it seems to me, he is a no on Build Back Better. And they're trying to throw some other dust up in the air to kind of salvage the moment. And right. there's obviously a lot of hunger amid the Democratic base uh, for you know, democ for, for really doing anything about democracy reform at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing speculation and this, this is what's been, what they've been doing, you know, that there's been meetings between Tester, Kane, King and Manchin about potential rule changes, which again, <laughs> these conversations have been happening for months and months and months. They just used to be about, you know, legislation that is now changed and, and, and kind of modernized to get Manchin on board. But these two things can't be true. Manchin can't be, or at least it's, it, the Democratic Party can't be like, and now we're going to do voting rights. And then Manchin is like, yeah, sure. As soon as I get 10 Republicans on board. I mean, that's the song and dance we've been doing for freaking months. So, you know, the only thing I can think of is that he decided he's a no on Build Back Better. He's going to torpedo it. And they were like, if you're going to 
kill the biggest remaining kind of legislative push of the Biden agenda, you need to agree to a filibuster carve out so we can do voting rights. Right. Right. But again, if that's true, then it seems that this deal was made in the last 12 hours or so because Manjin is on the record in public saying yesterday he's not going to do a rule change without Republicans. Right. Right. Well, like I said, I mean, it, the one thing about Joe Manchin is that he makes it up as he goes along, depending on which side of the bed he rolled out of. And we have seen over the last uh, over the last twelve months, really, that you know, coming out of the gate in January of 2021, he was like not you know not reforming the courts, uh, not getting rid of the filibuster. You know, blah 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 blah. Kind of threw cold water on on everybody, and then maybe six weeks later, he was on the Sunday shows, basically talking up the talking filibuster that it's gotten too easy, and everybody got kind of you know that was there was this there was this storyline and timeline that the filibuster reformers had sort of pushed on everyone. And I don't mean pushed on everyone like it wasn't true, kind of like here's a plausible game plan. And that was you kind of give the skeptics, the mansions, the cinemas, maybe Angus King, like, you know, we'll we'll try doing the bipartisan thing. When Republicans shoot everything down, we're going to go back to them and say, hey, clearly they are not operating in good faith. We got to reform the filibuster. And this seemed to be Joe Manchin's sort of you know, being open to that, to that approach. And then he shifted back to like, I'm never changing the filibuster ever. Filibuster is, is what it means to be an American and all that kind of stuff. So who knows? We don't really know uh, what is, what is uh, going on here. So let's, let's step back and talk about what we were initially going to talk about, which is that climate of pessimism that has gripped Democrats. And uh, maybe that will be shifted uh, by something by something we are going to see, uh, you know, that'll that'll come out in the next uh, few hours or something like that. But let's talk about that. What is what are you seeing in terms of how that pessimism is sort of seeping into the you know the fabric of the Democratic Party as 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 all of this just drags out and drags out and drags out. I mean, a lot of times it kind of feels like Democrats have already given up in all the real ways. You know, it's kind of the same thing as this mansion stuff we're talking about. It's like no Democrat with their salt is going to go out there and be like, yeah, we're going to get clobbered in 2022. That's just the reality. But then they don't super seem to be acting like they're interested in averting that Uh, from happening. And, you know, I think we're seeing that particularly in Biden, who kind of uses the danger to democracy as an occasional rhetorical talking point. But we saw him barnstorm at the beginning of this term for, you know, COVID relief and then for infrastructure stuff, send out his deputies, kind of fan across the states and make the case And he's never done the same thing for democracy reform. He just hasn't. You know, it's something that advocates were so excited when he got elected. And, you know, I did interviews the day after uh, the election with them about how, you know, 
this is so necessary to stave off what happened uh, under Trump and how, of course, Democrats will. I mean, it wasn't even a question then of will Democrats do this? You know, it was a what is the best approach to do this? And instead, it's kind of languished as this yeah, that's the next thing we're going to do. You know, we'll get to it after after we get this stuff, which obviously Manchin has dragged out and dragged out and dragged out. But well, let me let me ask you let me ask you a question on that because my understanding of the For the People Act, which is again kind of some version of that, is you know when we talk about democracy, voting rights, it's that thing. There's also the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, but you know that that's the big thing now. That I think has three basic prongs. One is that it creates a set of rules that, you know, ramps back the ability to have partisan gerrymandering, you know, gets the gerrymandering situation under control. Second is it does a lot of stuff about early voting and, you know, kind of it it creates a set a set of federal rules that covers all the different fights about can you vote by mail? Can you vote early? All that kind of stuff. And then it does uh, basically campaign finance reform. And those are the three buckets. Those are the three things. Now, to my mind, the most important part of that is the gerrymandering stuff. But one thing I wonder about is that what I at least think people are most focused on right now are these state laws that basically say, if the state if the state legislature decides it doesn't like how the election went, they can just overrule it. Or you have uh, you know local boards of canvassing that are now stacked with big lie supporters, and all you know all this kind of stuff. All of these all of these personnel and rule changes that basically make it the case that you can you know legally throw out the results of the election. Right, the, the law says if you want to, you know, have the election. But if you want to, you can get rid of the election and just decide to give the votes to whoever you want. Now, as far as I know, that isn't covered by any of the voting rights stuff or any of the or any of the For the People Act. And I'm not even I'm I'm not even totally sure it can be. Now, now there's uh, the Constitution. I'm not even sure. I'm 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 not even I haven't even kind of thought that thought that through because some of it goes to sort of extra constitutional stuff. So I think a lot of the biggest dangers that really do face our democratic system right now are not covered in the bill that we are talking about, even though it covers a lot of critically important stuff. Um, and I, I, some of the things that have happened are so novel that I'm not even sure we know yet whether they could be addressed by by federal legislation. But what were you going to say, Kate? Yeah, right. So to me, it's like there, we've focused a lot about the suppressive voting laws. Obviously, nothing has been done about them, thanks to Manchin and Cinema, but that's been the focus. When in reality, looking back at 2020 as a rehearsal for what these people are planning to do in 2024... The only it wasn't even really about the votes, you know, it was about the machinery to certify the election, which is where they went. And then we and we kind of I mean, the votes contributed in that they gave Biden such a large buffer that these actors would have had to overturn and sway actors in so many different states that 
it kind of prevented a domino effect just because there were so many people who would have had to be convinced from the level of, you know, Secretary of State to the, you know, people who sign off on their legislate, on the electors, to the courts, to the federal level people in Congress. Right. So that's where that comes into play. But it's that machinery that they targeted that they, that if they had been kind of less of buffoons, they could have taken out, you know, and right. we had some right. people in those positions also who, to give full credit, showed, you know, amazing gumption and wouldn't let themselves be swayed. Even, you know, sometimes that came with bucking their party. So now, you know, Steve Bannon has a, a podcast that's very, very popular, you know, tens of millions of downloads. He, for months, has been telling people that they need to run for or apply for positions on the the very local level that have to do with election supervision. Um, a lot of times, you know, it's, it's kind of almost a, a canvasser position, but sometimes in some states, these people have more power than that. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they're kind of called poll watchers or, or something like that. ProPublica did this report on it that there have been almost 9,000 new signups of Republicans looking to seek these positions, which are so hyper-local that they often are just there for the taking. They go unfilled. Right. You just kind of sign up, basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah Whereas yeah. for Democrats, the line has stayed completely flat. And I just think that's so indicative of the Democratic problem writ large is like our lawmakers seem to be hung up on stuff, serious stuff, you know, but like racially driven vote suppression, which, of course, very important. But I don't know why they're not working on that on the one hand and then on the other hand being like hyper, hyper focused on positions that will be the most critical political positions anyone can hold in 2024, which right. in most states, you know, is secretaries of state. Um, even some, 2022. Right. I mean, obviously, that the plays there as well. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, secretaries of state in some in some states, that's actually a gubernatorial appointment. So in those places, you know, it's the, the governor's race. But in the we know what states we know what states this is going to be critical for because of our setup. And the, the Bannon anecdote almost, it, it, I just think it's indicative of this bigger problem where Republicans have been doing this successful kind of, all their politics has been successfully state driven for so long, which is how we basically ended up in where we are today because that that has affected like every tendril of our politics. But specifically with election stuff, we've seen that it comes down to people in obscure jobs that most Americans haven't really heard of before being swayed to kind of use a cloak of, you know, important sounding words to basically throw out the people's will and put in the legislature's will. Well, you know, one, one thing, one thing that is, is important to, to remember is a lot of people say, look, um, Mike Pence had no choice. His role at that, you know, on January 6th was just to say, is, you know, is this the elector slate from the state of California? Yep. Looks like it. <laughs> Done. Right. It's just, a, they call it a ministerial function. He's not there to make a judgment call. He just has to look at it and say, Done. When you go down into many of these offices that you're describing, these, you know, kind of board of canvassers and all these kind mm -hmm. of things, there are lots of places where similarly, it's not these people's job to set to to make a judgment call about 
did this election feel right to me? <laughs> it's just they're the person who, you know, from from uh, such and such county, the votes get sent in. Is this the is this the truck that brought the votes from that county? Yep. Okay. Done. So it's not up to them to make these substantive decisions. However, if we go back and remember in Michigan, you know, in the first weeks after the election, a couple of those boards that are just that kind of thing, they're not supposed to make these kind of calls. They, they looked and said, no, no, not going to do it. And I think in a couple of those cases, they were still boards that had, you know, there's two Democrats and, or, you know, three Democrats and three Republicans, and it's usually a unanimous vote. So Republicans couldn't win the vote, but they could withhold their votes. And so it's a stalemate and the votes don't get counted. So the point is, is that you can say, well, he's not allowed to do that in Mike Pence's case, but what if he had done it? You know, what if he said, you know what? I don't accept these electors. Well, a lot of law professor types could say, oh, it's a ministerial function. You're not allowed to do that. But like Republicans would have supported him. And there's a Republican Supreme Court. So in a lot of these cases, you can do whatever you want. It's up to someone else in some greater position of authority to say you can't. And in a lot of these, a lot of these you know, offices that, that, that we're talking about, it's a similar kind of thing. They don't really have any power or, or, or license to, to just decide they don't like the results of the elections, but who's going to say they can't? And, and in a lot of these states, and this is the sort of the chain reaction that we're talking about, you know, county board down in some county in, in, in Michigan says, nope, don't like these. And who's going to overrule them? Well, I, I don't know in Michigan whether it's the Secretary of State or the Attorney General or maybe the Governor. But the point is, if you have those, if you have those offices too, then no one's going to overrule them. And uh, you know that to me, and and just to you know to summarize the point we were making before, the voting rights stuff in terms of how easy it is to vote, when you can vote what ID you need to vote, that stuff is critically important, except if there's someone else up the food chain who can just decide, you know what? I looked at the totals. I don't like it. That obviously becomes even more important because who knows if you can vote on Sundays or if you can vote in the evenings or if you can vote by mail. If all the votes can be tossed out, it kind of doesn't matter. And that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're talking about here. Exactly. And I think a lot of Democrats, particularly on the federal level, are kind of acting like January 6th and all that preceded it was a one-time scary thing, a near miss. But you just simply don't have to look hard to see that that's not the case, that what it was was practice, a rehearsal, that these same people are going to learn from what they learned then take those lessons and figure out how to do it better in the near future. And there's just this like burying their heads in the sand thing and this kind of singular focus on we can't have people stand in long lines to vote, which of course that is also bad. But I just, it feels to me that no Democrats really grasp how acute the threat is right now. And to some, in some ways that's 
reflected in polling about this. Overwhelmingly, Republicans are the ones who are saying our democracy is under attack. And that's because they freaking believe the big lie. Democrats, on the other hand, don't see that. So there's no loop right now because the threat is disparate. So Democratic constituents are not demanding action. And then the politicians have kind of put democracy reform you know, barring some huge deal right now, but I have put some de- have put democracy reform as like on the back burner to infrastructure. So the constituents aren't getting signals from the leaders that this is something to be very, very panicked about. And to me, it's just such a failure by Democrats on every, you know, obviously on the we are Americans concerned about our democracy level, but also on the Democrats trying to win elections level because We've seen from the Republican Party that appealing to people's fear is incredibly effective. And here you don't even have to quibble about the morals of it because there is something to be afraid of. And I think Democrats have kind of been taking this route of or the Biden administration specifically, like people are worried about bread and butter issues. They're worried about the economy. That's what we want to deal with. And to me, I just, I don't understand why you can't twin those two things, especially because it's been done before and done successfully. Like if you look back at FDR, he married the New Deal with creeping authoritarianism in the United States. He saw that they were intrinsically linked, that slides into authoritarianism are often provoked by a decline in people's economic fate, that that kind of disillusionment and disappointment and anger so easily feeds into the authoritarianism, the authoritarianist desire to overthrow what's in place right now, because those people are not looking out for you. Mm -hmm. So to me, it just seems like so obvious that Biden and Democrats, to the best of their ability, should say, should marry those two things. You know, we are looking out for you, the people, And, you you know, you need to kind of be behind us. We need to work together to fend off this very existential threat to our democracy. And, you know, obviously the big problem here is Manchin, who is just rendering Congress absolutely ineffective. You know, he's doing what you would expect a Republican operative embedded with the Democrats to do right now. (laughs) And I I don't want to, like, minimize that because it drives me crazy when I read articles that are like, Democrats will not do X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, 49 of them would, you know, or 48 of them. But that being said, you know, Biden's got executive powers, a lot of them that he hasn't really plumbed to this point. And granted, you know, the stuff like canceling student debt or potentially using the executive branch to lower drug prices, those are not like clean answers. There's a lot of debate about if he can do it or not. But why not try? Why not get caught trying, you know? Or And there should be this like very precision focus on local and state levels like we've been talking about. I just think we've been in this place where the Democrats are pointing to Manchin and saying, well, can't do anything. This is where we're at. And the the threat's just so existential. I just think it demands that they be more creative. Here, I I don't disagree with you. I think the, not the excuse or the, or the, well, I think what is happening is this, you know, there's that, there's that line about if you have a hammer, everything seems like a nail, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the reverse is also true. If you don't have a hammer, you don't want to see nails, right? Because there's nothing you can do about them. And I think what is happening here is that 
they don't want to focus on it because they don't feel there is anything they can do about it. Now, I don't think that is I don't think that is the only reason here. I do think that there is there are a lot of people up in the Senate that think, look, it's bad, but you know, things have been bad before, things come out in the wash, blah 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 blah. You know, it's not as we'll figure it out, right? I do think there is I do think there is a significant amount of that. But again, I think the other thing and to me this is the sort of the story of what is happening, it's no fun concentrating on something you can't do anything about. And Joe Manchin is the issue. Now, Kirsten Sinema might also be the issue somewhat. Uh, Angus King, I mean, he said that he would support a carve out, but I guess there's, you know, there's some, there's maybe one or two other wobbly filibuster people, but those people have said, I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of it for voting rights or I'll, you know, mm-hmm. uh, defang it for voting rights. And again, I, I think that, and, and I think this goes to, um, you know, to Biden as well, or the people in the White House that you don't want to kind of put all your cards on something where you, where you feel certain you're going to lose. And that, again, that's not, that's not justification. That is more, I think, a 30,000 foot, from my point of view, capturing of the nature of the crisis. Again, that confrontation between tremendous expectations, tremendous need for reform, for change that that are in some cases existential, but not having the not having the resources to, you know, to fulfill those expectations. And that creates stasis, it creates anger. And that is the sort of the, to me, that is the sort of the crisis of our, of our moment. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, it, it, it doesn't point to any solution, but I think it does capture the, what this, what the, what the stasis and the sort of the um, impotence is 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 about. Look, I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I think the same way that po- passing popular legislation doesn't necessarily get the president or his party much of anything, you know, that's a, a disconnect we've been seeing again and again, and now there's data to back that up. I think the reverse of that is that sometimes I think rhetoric can get you somewhere, even if, like you say, they lack the congressional muscle to really do something about it. And I just think it is incumbent upon Biden to make this the center focus. I I don't disagree with you. I don't I again I'm not I'm not saying okay they should just drop it. I'm I'm more I'm more saying I think this is why that it has happened. And I and I will say this, I think if that is the case, then in a lot of ways you need to if the point is 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 focus and if the point is rhetorical right then it's important to sort of rejigger what what your expectation is you, you know it it then it it doesn't make sense to every few weeks have uh, chuck schumer make these announcements where he says all right we're 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 go- we're going to dig in on voting rights and that ends up meaning that a few thursdays later in the evening, there's a vote or the lack of a vote because it's filibustered and no one even knows it happened. I think if that's the case, then you need Joe Biden to be, you know, that that's all he talks about. 
and and you know he's using it it's all he talks about and he attacks republicans and he says it's critical and they are blocking it and they, so they're the problem and that's why you need to elect more democrats right exactly i think it should be that married with a hyper focus on the state and local levels that includes having administration officials go to these states and you know try to drum up enthusiasm and get people to like take these positions and want to run for these positions um and i I, I just, I'm not saying it's easy at all. I think Manchin, I think we as a country have been so historically unlucky that Joe Manchin is the man with all this power in this moment. And I think it might be ultimately calamitous to our future. But that being said, what they're doing right now just isn't working. This like kind of half-hearted, we're working on this this great package that everyone who's paying attention knows might be on the brink of death at any moment. And at any rate is not has no momentum, hasn't had momentum for months, you know, and, and just doing all this focus on these like bread and butter issues, which of, por- of course people care about, but there's been no sign that you can get it done. And right, the only thing right. people are seeing is what you said, the stasis, the lack of movement. So I think at some point you've just got to be a bit creative and try to come up with some other way to show forward momentum on something. And this is the most dire thing we're facing. Right. I mean, look, I, I, I agree with that. And, and um, I so hope that, again, there's like a press conference at, at 3 p.m. that says they've, they've got this deal. Because, uh, you know, th- this is as much as I think the Build Back Better stuff is critical. And, and to me, the climate stuff is Absolutely. What is overwhelming? I mean, to me, it's the climate stuff and a bunch of other great, you know, cool stuff. But it's really the climate stuff that is that is critical. As critical as it is, it it's like we're in a um, it's like we're in denial at this point. <laughs> like you know, we've been trying to get Joe Manchin to uh, agree to this for what I mean, either a year or six months or three months or whatever it is, and that there is there is nothing more damaging politically to highlighting every day your inability to make something work. It just is. It's so enervating. It, and voters see everything else through that prism. You know, they see the gas prices are high. They see that there's still, you know, still school issues with quarantine, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everything, everything's wrong. Why is it wrong? Well, look, I mean, Joe Biden can't even can't even get his own people to pass his own bill. He's clearly not up to the job. So you, they all kind of go together. I, I hope they've, they've, uh, I hope they've come up with something. I just, I think Manchin is just so far gone. I mean, the other kind of news around Build Back Better today is that he has now positioned himself against the child tax credit. So he's currently bargaining for that to zero out. That was something that Schumer was using as leverage to pass it before Christmas because the child tax credits are going to expire at the end of the month. Manchin wants them to disappear completely. I mean, that is such an amoral, but also kind of a political position. Now, I guess his, at least notionally, his point is he doesn't want anything that isn't permanent, right? Like he doesn't want anything that is only for a, like a fixed number of years and then snaps back. That's his rationale because in most right. of these things, he is he 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 is not um, opposed them. You know, at least how he presents it, he's not opposing them on the merits. He just opposes the implementation. He doesn't like temporary things. And and as a general matter, I I think permanent is better than temporary. But 
you know, that's that I think that is his what he's saying, at least. Yeah, but he's told reporters he's opposed to it completely. Right. He's saying, I I agree. You're that argument is true for most of Build Back Better and led to one of the most ridiculous hijinks I've seen where Lindsey Graham asked the CBO to score a hypothetical Build Back Better plan in which all of the programs run for the full decade, but there are no pay-fors to match. So they use the pay-fors for the shortened programs, but the programs at their full their full run. And then right. it says, can you believe how much this adds to the debt? You know, and he said, Manchin was stunned. Manchin was vindicated. I mean, the whole thing is just so stupid. But I do think we're reaching a point where waiting for Manchin to act like a Democrat, it's it's not going to happen. And it sucks. And it's a bummer. But Democrats have to find another pathway that gives them some forward more momentum. Or it's just, it's done for. I mean, and as it is, I've been working on a kind of a big redistricting piece. And the House is basically out of hand already. I mean, barring kind of some major intervention by courts that don't tend to like to intervene in the drawing of lines, they've got to figure something out and recognize how big the threat is right now. I'm not saying it's easy. And Manchin is a, like I said, I think historically disastrous man to be in this position in this moment. But that's not an excuse for them to just kind of throw up their hands. Right. All right. Let's let's uh, let's get to questions. What okay. are what questions we have? This um, week? The first is from Douglas, who says, "Have you heard anything about Susan Collins being quote unquote concerned that Kavanaugh is apparently reneging on his promise not to mess with Roe? Was she genuinely hoodwinked?" Um, I, after the oral arguments, um, she basically said she's going to wait for a decision from the Supreme Court to make any kind of definitive comments. And I I mean, I don't, she wasn't hoodwinked. Come on. I mean, when Trump was on the campaign trail, he said, I'm only going to pick judges who will overturn Roe v. Wade. You know, I mean, it's the same position as I was kind of doing pre-reporting before the arguments. And I had some, you know, very, very smart law professors tell me like, the only hope for Roe lies in Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. And then you're like, well, Okie dokie, then we kind of know where we stand. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I would say she is like, you know, 10 degrees more likely to, you know, she's 99% likely to overturn Roe. He's probably 85% likely to overturn Roe. So there's a little difference, but like not a mean, you know, not a meaningful difference. Um, and he might also be 99%. You know, Collins is basically full of it on that stuff. It's entirely possible that when they overturn Roe, she will put out a statement saying, I I am I am very disappointed since I I I believed uh, Brett Kavanaugh would would show more uh you know more respect for precedent and blah and and so I'm sad. And like okay. <laughs> I'm sure she will. I mean yeah. the same way kind of after the oral arguments, she very newsily, make sure everyone can hear me. I'm talking very loudly in the hallways was like, I'm talking to Democrats about abortion protections legislation when she knows it doesn't have a chance in hell of passing. It's like, great. Thanks, Suze. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, uh, let's remember that the Josh Marshall podcast brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get 25% off at Grady's Cold Brew dot com with promo code tpm that's grady's cold brew dot com with promo code tpm all right later 
The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song, and thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen.